Let's pray. God, how good, how pleasant it is to be here this morning with brethren. God, as we go into a time of the word, I ask God that you would help us to know you. Help us to experience your presence. Open our hearts, God. This is the first Sunday of the year. We release last year to you. It's trials. It's difficulties. It's sadness. Every day in you, God, is a new day. But this is the day that you have made. Father, we look forward to that, what you want to do in our hearts, in our lives today, and throughout this coming year. Help us to be open to all that you have for us. God, lead each of us on in a new adventure this year. Cause us to be open to you and willing to go where you would have us go and do what you would have us do. <coughs> Allow us and cause us to be who you're calling us to be. Lord, we love you. We need you. Anoint the time and the word this morning. Speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to continue our journey from last week and starting the new journey for the new year. I want to spend some time looking this morning at the life and ministry of Jesus. I want to spend time with him and the disciples in the last night of Jesus' time before his crucifixion. We're going to listen in on some conversations between he and his disciples. We're going to do a flyover, a flyby of the three and a half years of the time together of Jesus with his disciples as he preached, as he walked on the earth in his public time of ministry, and look at one of the threads that God purposefully wove together into the fabric of Jesus' revelation toward us. We're going to bring that and look at that and see what it was that God was, that Jesus was trying to tell us and bring us to. And before we do that, we need to look at the God of the Old Testament, the Jewish God. God revealed himself to the Jews very in the very beginning as the creator in Genesis 1. Jews in Jesus' time and still today know God as El Shaddai, God Almighty. They know him as the creator God. But one of the terms that you don't find very often within Jews is a term that Jesus brought, and that's the term we want to look at today, and that's Father God. It was in some of their prayers he revealed himself as Father, but even modern-day Jews rarely use the term Father when they talk to God. They more often will use Adonai, which means Lord, or Hashem, which simply means the name. And they'll pray and they'll refer to him as the name or Lord. There's a few times that they'll say, Father and King. But for the most part, by and large, Jews don't know God as their Father, let alone the term that Jesus introduced us to that we're going to take a look at. But throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of the personal God. He's not missing from the Old Testament. 
but they kept choosing to go back and hang on to that transcendent God, that, that God that was beyond comprehension. The one they would stand off in holiness, his name was so holy. The name he revealed himself, which, was, which we would say Yahweh or Yahweh, was so holy to them that they don't say the name. Instead, they would put in the word Adonai. They stood off at a distance from God as the transcendent, far away, holy God, creator, king, almighty. Even in the Old Testament, he was wooing to himself so that they would get to know him in a deeper way. They would get to know him. And I believe that David, of all the people in the Old Testament, probably get, had the best glimpse of a different God than just almighty God, the one who is holy and the creator. As you read the Psalms, you see the heart of somebody who saw the heart of God. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But for so many years, they, people approach God as, from a distance. They looked at him over there. David, perhaps had that best grasp. As we see Psalm 17, just a few places, 26, 36. We're going to go to 63, verse 3. Psalm 63, verse 3. God was the God who destroyed thousands of people when they misbehaved. Yet David looked past that and he saw the nature and character of God and got to know Him in a way that so many others didn't. Psalm 63, 3 simply says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto thy name. He saw a loving kindness of God. He wanted to know him. He talked often of the intimacy of talking to God on his bed. Throughout the Old Testament, we see those who began to know God in a more intimate way. But we, they never, as a whole people, never made it. They never made it. They kept coming up against the holiness of God that they felt that they were unable to come close to. When Jesus came onto the scene, he immediately began to change all of that. And that's one of the reasons the Jews hated him. Jesus came and he brought with him a relationship and understanding of God as not just Hashem, Adonai, El Shaddai. But he brought another one, and it was Father God. He began to move into a new relationship with the Lord. And he brought that. Throughout the three and a half years, Jesus was revealing God to his disciples, and thus to us. Three and a half years he spent trying to reveal God and introduced to us a different relationship with God, and that's the Father. That's why he, it's one of the reasons He came. He came so that we would know the Father in a more intimate way. We're going to take a look at that, some of those things that He did, proving that out this morning, showing that it's so important that we understand that relationship. And that's such a great journey that, that I'm on. Want to know Him more intimately than ever. Go with me to John chapter 5. 
Keep, keep your hand to John chapter 5. We're going to read a couple of verses in a moment, but don't get lost reading yet. You know, when Jesus came, he began to introduce us to Father. And I think of the, the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, when you pray, pray something like this, our Father who art in heaven. And for us, it's a very common prayer. We've had never had a problem. We've never thought about it. Though I was talking to Pastor John Day yesterday, and, and he told me that he, he once knew a pastor who could not say the Lord's Prayer because it said Father. And he had such a problem with the Father figure that he, he couldn't pray that prayer. But we know that prayer. We're very familiar with it. But when Jesus said that prayer in the, in the midst of the Jews, it was causing such problem and strife because he was talking personally to a God who is holy and transcendent. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He began to close the gap between God and man. And John 5, verse 17. Actually, let's start at 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. He had been doing miracles on the Sabbath because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. We skim right by these as we read the Bible so often. We read these things and say, oh, that's great. But it says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father. Jesus was a Jew. If the relationship of father and son was established in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have been angry that Jesus said, my father. But because he said, my father, they wanted to kill him even more. He was blasphemous, trying to have a relationship, an intimate relationship. I believe when, they, in the, when the Jews still pray father and king, that it's, it's this abstract father figure. He's the father of all the living, but he's not a personal father. And Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples trying to introduce us to a father who's intimate, who wants us to know him. Verse 19, Jesus goes on and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus was building this relationship that says, not only is he my father, but I see him. And the things that he does, I do. That's so blasphemous. He's putting himself in a relationship that, that's intimate with God. And that's the relationship God wants us to have, that Jesus wants us to have with the Father. In John chapter 14, we see the beginning of the last discourse that Jesus has with his disciples. It's the end of their three and a half years together. The culmination of the ministry, of the time spent, of the miracles, of the disciples knowing Jesus, of watching him, of walking with him, of being released into ministry at times, but more than anything, just spending it with Jesus. The biggest goal for Jesus in those three and a half years was to, for the disciples to know him.
This morning is the first Sunday of the month. It's the first Sunday of the year. And we're going we're gonna to have communion at the end of the message. We're going to do it exactly backwards as Jesus did. Because John chapter 14, chapter 13, Jesus is having communion, the Passover, with his disciples. The final time he would have the Passover supper with them before he was crucified. And then after the Passover, after the commu- what we would call the communion, after their Passover supper, he goes on and spends the next couple of chapters having a conversation with his disciples. The final things people talk about before they die are usually pretty important. And so we're going to spend that time looking at some of the things that Jesus talked about before he goes to the cross. He's summing up, I believe, the three and a half years, making sure they understand what was important. This was done right after they had communion together. So we're going to first talk about the things that are important to Jesus. And at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together, committing our lives to him once again. We're going to start this year off on a good foundation like Jesus. He wanted the disciples to know the most important things. After Jesus and his disciples shared that Passover meal, chapter 14, Jesus begins a discourse. He says, let not your heart, verse 1, be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. These were Jews. They knew God. They believed in God, and they were looking at a new teacher, a rabbi, maybe one who had come and become the king of Israel. They weren't looking to change their religion. They were just looking at Jesus as the revelation of, of, a, of another part of God. And he's saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. My, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus beginning to open up that way. You can be with the Father. You need to be with the Father. And the only way to do that is through me. And here's the verse that I wanted to to, to read. is verse 7. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. (coughs) Jesus spent his three and a half years revealing God. But he spent it revealing God through the person of Jesus, through himself. He walked among the people and he revealed God by his love, by his mercy by his kindness, by his relationship that Jesus had with his disciples, Jesus was trying to reveal God to his disciples so that we would understand, you and I would understand, that that relationship that Jesus had with his disciples, we can have with the Father. 
God doesn't want to remain far off. He doesn't want us to have this a kinship to just Jesus and the holiness of God who is transcendent. But He wants us to have that relationship with God the Father and know Him. And we're going to have to overcome some radical obstacles in our personal lives to have that relationship with Him. Some of you never knew your Father. Maybe there are people in here who literally don't know their Father. Some of you had a Father figure but still didn't know your Father. Some of your fathers you wished you didn't know. We have some obstacles in this thing that comes to having a good relationship. Now, praise the Lord for some of you in here who had a great relationship with, with your own father. And I'll, I'll, I believe with all of my heart that because of that, you've had a better relationship, an easier relationship, seeing God as your father than those who struggled with their relationship. But Jesus wants us to know God intimately, not like an earthly father, not like... Not like your father was to you better. Even if you had a great dad, he wants to reveal himself better. And we're going to have to put away our preconceived ideas and notions of what good fatherhood means. In order to know the father heart of God, it's not just a frou-frou, mysterious relationship that we, we have and we conjure up on our own. We have to be careful of that. Because we can sit and say, well, I have a personal, intimate relationship with God, but it might not be with the real God. It might be with something that we're just making up that we think God wants. We need to know who the God of the Bible is to help see His heart for us, to know His love, how great, how vast it is, to see it in truth. Because there is the part of God that disciplines, and yet He loves. There's the part of of grace, the part that sometimes we have to reap what we sow. We need to know the full counsel of God and get to know Him through the Word of God but so that we can know the Father intimately. We need, not like the Jews who, who would refuse to know Him as God, we need to find the intimate parts of God in the Old Testament. You know, Zephaniah 3, I believe it's 317, says that he sings over his people. Another translation says that he spins. He's so exuberant over his children. That's intimate. That's special. That's a wonderful relationship. God wants to reveal that to us. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus begins by saying, if you know me, you know my Father. You've seen him. And he begins and goes on for chapters speaking about, about God as the Father. Now Jesus in this time, he says that I'm going to, when I leave, I'm going to give you a, the spirit of truth. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And that spirit he was talking about is the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the titles for the Holy Spirit. But I want to go, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Another name for Holy Spirit is given to us that's connected right to John chapter 14. Romans chapter 8. 
He says, when I go away, I'm going to spend, send the Spirit of truth. And we see that the Holy Spirit came and has remained with us. In Romans 8, verse 15, It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This isn't a feeling of adoption. We, in English, we sometimes say, oh, he's got a, a gentle spirit about him. And what we really mean is there's this feeling of gentleness that's on somebody. We use the word spirit sometimes as almost a characteristic. You follow? This is not a feeling or characteristic of adoption. This is the Holy Spirit of adoption. He's, that's one of the titles of Holy Spirit, is that we, he is the spirit of adoption. And it says in the New King James, it's right, by whom? By the Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. We've just gone from, in the Greek, potter, <coughs> father, kind of the, the, still a little bit distant, bringing in a word that is not definitely not used with Jews. They use Abba <coughs> when they're talking to their daddy. But they would never use that word to talk to God, the Father. And he says, I have given you the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of adoption. You are my son. Now, some of your versions probably say son or sonship. And you say, wait a second, a different word. The word in the Greek comes from two words. And the first word in there is, is simply does mean son or relationship akin to son. The second part of the Greek word in there means appointed or placed. And so I like to use the word adoption there, like the New King James translate, because we understand that better. He gave us the spirit of adoption. He chose to adopt us as his sons. And that, that is such a deep, deep meaning to be adopted. When you adopt someone, as we're finding out in the process of adoption and Ed and Una do, when you adopt someone, they have all legal rights of being part of the family. When we adopt someone in the United States, they go back and they change the birth certificate and they put your name on there. So if anyone ever goes and looks up the birth certificate of somebody who was adopted, it will only say the adopted parents. It looks like they literally gave birth to them in the hospital. That's adoption. Isn't that, isn't that neat? When God adopts us, there's no paperwork that exists that says we are not part of God's family. And we are sons. We have all the rights of son, but not just any son. The Bible goes on to even further that says, just as he loved his son Jesus, he loves us. In the same manner that God loves Jesus, he loves us. That's enough to just let me sit down and figure this out. He loves us in the same manner that he loves Jesus the Son. No different. He loves Jesus. It's his 
son, as he said from heaven, behold, my son, whom I'm greatly pleased. He says that to you and to me. This spirit of adoption is upon us. By that spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. I think Papa is a great translation of that for us. Papa, Daddy, it's not Sir, Father, it's intimate. It's a special relationship that we have with God. But we have to get over some hurdles, church, because we want to call Him Father. Some of us want to call Him Sir. Okay, sir, whatever you want, sir. I'll do it, sir. We kind of giggle. Giggles related to guilt. Because we look at God, some of us that way is, okay, whatever you want, I, I want to please you. And did I do good today? And we get sucked right back to the age of 8, 10, 12, 14 years old when you brought your report card home and said, is this good? Did I do okay, Dad? Father? Hoping that it was good enough for him. Needing to gain his approval. You cannot do anything to gain the approval of someone who's already given it to you 100%. God loves you. Now, now this is a wonderful, wonderful part of this. God does not love you in Christ. He loves you. You, He loves you, even unsaved. Now, we, we need to let this sink in for a moment. I think that we think that, well, we're saved, and Jesus' blood covers us, and when, Jesus, when God looks at us, He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees God Himself because of Jesus, and so therefore, He loves me. But the Bible does it not say, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God loved us first, then we got saved. Wait a second, that's revelation. This should be coming alive in us going, wait a second, God loves me, a sinner? Yes! And so there is nothing we can do to earn more love. There is nothing we can do to, to get clean enough for God to love us. As a comparison, the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. But that wasn't so that we could feel bad about ourselves. It was really just to say that God is so holy that the best we can offer Him is... <laughs> but He says, you don't have to offer me anything. I've offered everything for you. I love you with an everlasting love. God is that great Father. So much better than we can imagine. The muddy child who I've had who rolls in the mud and comes to the house. And some of us maybe your parents and maybe even you, instead of receiving them at the moment, did what was pretty normal. Don't come in the house. 
Go wash yourself off in the hose. God is better than us. And I don't want to condemn us. Don't, don't go. But God is better than us. When God opens the door and sees us, He says, I love you so much. Let's go wash. He loves you. And He loves me. And we've never experienced that kind of love on earth. And so we have such a hard time receiving it. We have to read the word and see who he is and his love for us over and over and over and begin to just say, like I said last week, Daddy, you love me. It's truth. Over time, we're going to continue on and and learn how we can know what that love should look like. We'll spend time over the course of the next few weeks, and we won't do this every week in order, but over the course of the next few weeks to few months even, breaking down the lies that we believe so that we can receive the love of God. Because each of us in here believe lies about our unworthiness, about God himself that says he can't really love me. We'll get a hold of those lies and we're going to strangle them and we're going to choke the life out of them and send them back to the pit of hell so that we can begin to know the love of God the Father. He loves us so much. He calls us sons. You too, ladies. You're sons of God. I don't like the new NIV translation thus far. I'm, I'm not going to put a permanent stamp of no, but I am not liking it because I believe that too often there, that the translators trying to make it gender neutral have ruined some of the ideas of what God was saying because there's a special relationship culturally that we need to understand between a father and a son. When you see a son of God and you get the firstborn son, he has all the rights and privileges He's inheriting everything. There's a special relationship that a son has culturally that was written in the Bible that we need to understand as sons of God. So you get to be, ladies, a son of God. But there's another relationship that God wants us to know. And he says, you're my son, but you're also my bride. So men, get your veils on. <laughs> We get to be the bride of Christ. And that's a special relationship. What the bridegroom does for his bride, protects, and he loves, and he cherishes. We have to explore these things together. In your life groups, you'll be doing that. We'll be doing that together on Sunday mornings, exploring these relationships, going, wow, you want to give me everything? And you want to be my protector, my savior, my friend. God loves us, not just in Christ. He really, really loves us in all of our goofiness and wackiness. He doesn't just put up with us. That's so good.
The reason we're doing communion, I'm going to ask the, the ushers to, to pass out the communion. It's because as we have communion today, we're going to pray for beginnings of healings in this relationship between God and us. Because when Jesus died for us, one of the things that happened was the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. We were separated as the Jews knew. They were separated from God. They could only know Him from far away as the Creator. But the new part was coming. He says, no, you get to know me intimately, face to face. And that's one of the parts of the communion that we celebrate. We're no longer separated by, from, by sin from God. But we're also ushered into the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. I'm going to ask, go ahead and begin to pass out the elements. Hold on to them. And that's part of the relationship and the part of the message of communion this morning. God wants to have that intimate relationship with us as our Abba, as our Papa not just far away. Wow. We're going to ask the worship team to close with a song. We haven't done that song possibly for a while. It's called Your Beloved. And it starts out in the relationship that the Jews had with God. It says, Lord, it was you who created the heavens. It speaks to God as the creator of all that transcendent, awesome, mighty creator of all. He spoke the worlds into place. As the song goes, though, it brings us to today. I am your beloved. You know, the book of Song of Songs is a, is a great book. It's rated NC-17. It's for adults only. Because it gets real intimate. And that picture is the intimacy and love relationship between a bride and the bridegroom. Between Jesus and us. He wants, he wants us to be and to know are His beloved. That's the term He uses in Song of Solomon, beloved. He loves us so much. For communion this morning, during the course of the song, we're going to receive it together. But it's going to be individual as your timing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing. We're going to receive God's love. And if, as you sing and worship and 
just sit and listen to the words. You don't have to sing. Let it be something that would minister to you. When it's right, we'll do as Jesus did. We'll give thanks for the bread. <coughs> it was His body, and we'll do that in prayer now. But when it's time, go ahead and receive His body and His blood. Father, we thank You for Your, your body that was broken and the blood that was spilled at Calvary to bring us into relationship with You. Jesus, we thank You that You so tried to help us to see the relationship with Father God as Abba, Papa, intimate, loving, accepting. We thank you for your blood that makes it possible. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him. When you feel it's right, go ahead and receive the bread and the cup both.
Thank you, Daddy. that each of us would know that more and more that we're really his beloved because you chose because we chose if he loves us the same way that he loves Jesus then we can each say in here Let's go in that spirit of adoption.
go with the Holy Ghost, knowing that we cry out, Papa, because of him.